everyone wants to make the most of their life. Pastor and teacher Dr. Bill Galarakis of Columbia Road Baptist Church guides us into that focused and meaningful Christian life that will make a difference today and for eternity. Get ready for our next episode of Changing Lives, Changing Eternities. Here's Pastor Bill. If I didn't get the lesson of what we're going to talk about today, if the truth of it never reached me, I doubt that I would still be in ministry, or at least not in a fruitful ministry. Hi, this is Pastor Bill Galarakis. I'm so glad you've joined us today. I remember when I first started teaching, I was teaching in a Christian college undergraduate classes, and they were usually freshman classes. They were large in number, and the thing that I was most worried about when I first started is making sure that I had a lesson ready. I wanted to have something to say, so when they showed up, I didn't look like an idiot. Now, that is a motivation, but it's not a very good motivation to have something to say. And I went beyond just having something to say and just speaking to speak, and then I changed to speaking to be heard. There were things I wanted them to know that they needed to know that they needed to hear. And so it was no longer just about filling the time so that I I could check off a box, is that I wanted to speak to be heard. And I went from teaching a lesson to teaching people. From teaching a lesson to teaching people. You know, in ministry, it's very easy to look at the best practices of what's going on now. What programs are people running? What programs do does the community want? What programs is the church lacking? What kind of plans do we need to put into place in order to reach this or, or, or that goal? But I want you to know that above plans and above projects and above um, programs will always be people because ministry is about people. In Matthew chapter 9 and in verse 35, we begin reading this passage about the Lord Jesus and people. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The beginning of this talks about Jesus going about all of the cities and the villages. He went to where the people were. People didn't usually stray too far from their city or village during Bible times. It could be dangerous to travel, difficult to travel. We have a very mobile culture here in the West right now, but it wasn't the same way in the Bible lands during the time of Jesus' earthly life in ministry. He went to where the people were. He went into their cities, he went into their villages, and he met in their synagogues, the places where they were normally wont to gather. He didn't just set up shops somewhere and expect everyone to come to him. Oh, there were times when people flooded out of the cities to find him, but that was after he became a household name in all of the area of Galilee and then the surrounding areas as his fame spread. There were times when he went out into the wilderness and people heard about him and they poured out in droves. But at the beginning, he went about the cities and the villages. And what did he do there? He was teaching their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You may be serving in a ministry somewhere in your local church. I hope you are. If you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, 
and he has changed your eternity, your eternal destination. Now you have a home in heaven, and, and he has changed your life, and he is continuing to change you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. If that's you, you need a place to serve. God does not just want you to warm a bench uh, in, in a pew somewhere, uh, in a church somewhere. He wants you to use the giftings, the experiences that you've had, your inborn natu- natural, excuse me, natural talents to serve other people to the glory of God. And you need to go where the people are. I want you to think about the idea of bringing people to church. You've probably invited, if you're listening to a podcast on the Christian life, you've most likely invited somebody to church at some point in time. Or at least you, at some point, were invited to church. And it's good to invite people to church. I love it when our church members invite somebody to come and they they show up. And they're excited, and they want to hear what's going on, what God's doing there, and they usually have something in their life where they need God. And I love it when they come. But I want to challenge you to stop bringing people to church, or even more so, stop bringing people to Jesus, and start bringing Jesus to people. Stop bringing people to Jesus, and start bringing Jesus to people. Go where the people are. If you're working in a ministry where there are um, senior saints and you're ministering to that group, then go where the senior saints gather, where your 55 and older folks gather, whether that's uh, helping out and volunteering in an assisted living center or if they'll let you have a, a Bible study in an assisted living center. There's different seniors groups. There's senior centers inside of the cities. Volunteer. Create relationships through which the gospel can travel. I've even run into certain restaurants at certain times in our city where I know they will be almost entirely filled with senior citizens. Sometimes you'll walk into a restaurant and you'll see someone who looks like a retiree and they're sitting there by themselves. I know it would take a little bit of uh, gumption to do this, but ask if you could join them for the meal if you're by yourself. Offer to, to buy their meal if you're in a position to do so. I know that you could be such a blessing that way. That, if you're trying to reach senior saints, go where they are. Let's say you're trying to reach teens or children. Where do you find teenagers? Where do you find children? Well, you're going to find them in schools. You'll find them in sporting activities. You may find them at playgrounds. And so volunteer at a school, or if the school will let you get in with a a public school Bible club, uh, go to the sporting activities, try and support the team, become a, a booster for one of the organizations there, get involved, create relationships, go where they are. You probably need a hobby that will get you around unchurched people. You probably need a hobby that will get you around unchurched people. You know, at one point in time, our church had a softball team, and um, it doesn't have a softball team anymore, and I'm glad for that. I know we had people that really enjoyed themselves with our church softball team, and they loved being with one another, and they loved playing the game and getting the exercise and being out there. But you know what would be even better than your church or my church having a softball team? Would be for our church members to disband it and then go join a rec league with people that don't know Jesus on the team so that you can make real friendships with those people who need to know the Lord. It's easy to build up walls around our Christian community, and and I, I think that it's wonderful when a Christian church can provide a Christian school. I think it's wonderful when it can provide a, maybe a preschool if that's a need, or a, a camp or a college, and I've worked at large ministries like that before, and I'm thankful for it. But if you're not careful, you'll end up never being around someone that doesn't know the Lord. 
It's not always pleasant to be around people that don't know the Lord. Their lives are usually messy, and they're usually difficult. And that is truth. But those are the people, the sick, the diseased, as it says here in our passage, that needed the Lord Jesus. You know, he went into the synagogues and he took advantage of their rhythms of life, places where they normally met, the religion that they already understood, and he took them from what they knew to what they did not know. He took them from what they knew in their worship of God in the synagogues, the reading of the Old Testament, and he told them about the fulfilled and fulfilling prophecies of the Messiah in himself. And so we must not assume that everybody knows what we know. It's very easy if you've been in church for a long period of time or if you've been given the privilege of being raised in a Christian home and being in a Bible-preaching church for a long time to think that everybody knows what you know. But I remember being 16 years old and in the community in which now I pastor, I grew up here, and in a normal Midwestern suburb, I was 16 years old before I heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Now, that may seem hard for some of you to believe. Other people, you would say, no, I understand that. But even after I'd heard the gospel, there was much I didn't understand about the Bible. I remember sitting in church, having been invited by a friend to come, and I'm so glad that she did. And I came to church, and there were vocabulary words being thrown around the church, and I had no idea what they meant, but I just nodded my head pretending that I understood. And I just sort of tried to learn by osmosis and take it in and pretend that I knew more than I did because I didn't want to feel embarrassed. I didn't want to seem like I was less than the other teens that had shown up, but I really didn't know what was going on. And so don't assume that people know or understand more than they do. Meet them where they are and teach them what they need to know. We live in an increasingly biblically illiterate world. People generations ago used to have at least some common knowledge of the things of the Bible because it was part of culture. Now you have people that know almost nothing about the Bible, or they've heard great, grievous lies about what they think is in the Bible. And so, just like Jesus went into their synagogues and was preaching and teaching, we need to do the same. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and that is what every man, woman, boy, and girl needs. Yes, they probably need, if they're a boy or girl, to be in your children's program at your church. Yes, they probably need to be in your Sunday school class. Yes, the men and women probably need to be in the worship services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever extra programs you have. They probably need that, but their primary need is salvation from sin. And they're only going to get that through the preaching of the gospel, the the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he died for our sins and rose from the grave. That is what they need, and that's what we must make sure we give them. Alongside of that, Jesus said he was healing every sickness and every disease. Now, we don't have miraculous power like that. We can't do what Jesus did. But at its core, what Jesus was doing was helping to meet the needs of hurting people. He was helping to meet the needs of hurting people. I saw one of my friends on social media post a quote that I'd heard before, but it stuck with me yet again. And it said that if you preach to hurting people, you'll never lack an audience. I forget the initial author who said that, but if you preach to hurting people, you'll never lack an audience. There are hurting people all around. It may not seem that way, but when you pull back the veneer, when you pull back the facade, when you look beyond what is presented to you, almost everyone is having a hard time of it. They really are, especially if they don't know the Lord, because they don't have the wherewithal to live the kind of life that God designed them for. They're disconnected from the Lord, and so, of course, they're dissatisfied, and of course, they're lonely, and of course, they're confused, and of course, they're frustrated. 
This last little verse here, or part of this verse says, among the people. He was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. There in Matthew 9, 35. He was among the people, and we need to be as well. Programs and plans are good, but they are secondary to the people. I remember hearing about a preacher who was teaching some classes, and he was talking with people about pastoral counseling and some of the difficulties that he had in counseling people, and he brought up about almost every class he'd bring up about a person who came in who was struggling, and he did it in an appropriate way. He wasn't spilling out the private things that should have been kept private, but he wanted them to know, these young people in seminary, what they were going to face as pastors when they tried to help people. And one of the students I remember in this story that the pastor told, this preacher told, said, uh, well, we get it. We understand that there's all of these you know, problems that we have to deal with, but tell us how we can deal with them so we can get back to real ministry. And if, if you have a little bit of spiritual discernment, you can probably guess where this teacher went with it. He was disheartened to think that this young man who felt called to ministry looked at people who were struggling as problems to be gotten rid of, and he wanted to get back to the, the plans and the programs of ministry. People are ministry. That's what ministry is. It is people. If you don't like people, you're going to have a hard time serving the Lord because that's who he cares about. That's who he saved is people. Verse number 36 says, but when, G- when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. He saw the multitudes. He saw the individuals in the multitudes, in the crowds. He was out among them and he saw their manner of life. He saw what they lacked. He saw what they were missing out on because they didn't have a relationship with God or the forgiveness of sins. He saw their physical needs. And mind you, when he was around sick people, when he was around diseased people, that was not a clean, sterile, safe environment. It was messy, but he was there all the same. And he saw their physical needs and he saw their spiritual needs. And he saw, you can imagine with your sanctified imagination with me, the strife in their homes and children neglected, maybe abused, Uh, He saw drunkards and hardened sinners and people lost in dead religion without a relationship with the true and living God. We can, if we aren't careful, isolate ourselves to the point where we don't see the multitudes. In fact, there's something to be scorned. There's something to be looked down on. Look at those people doing those things. And perhaps there's a certain sin that you find more repugnant than others, and now you have a group in your mind that are, quote, those people. Don't isolate yourself to that point. It's hard, and it hurts to be among the hurting. But let's let that hurt motivate you and I to bring people the gospel, the life-transforming power of Christ in them. You know, he was moved with compassion on them because it says they fainted. And they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep are not intelligent animals. Their instincts are not great. And they get in all sorts of trouble left to themselves. They have to be moved from one area of grazing to the next by the shepherd. Or else they don't have anything to eat. They're not spiritually or physically fed. If we take this into the spiritual realm, as Jesus would have used this, he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. No one was there to feed them and move them to where they needed to go. He saw them as scattered abroad. You know, sheep need to be kept together in a group because when they get scattered abroad, they get lost. 
and they can fall into danger because they wandered somewhere they should not be. And there were probably many people there that had wandered away and gotten into trouble. Or they made themselves targets for predators. That's what happens with sheep that wander away from the flock is they are now easy to be picked off by the enemy. And the Lord Jesus knew that they had an enemy. And I'm not just talking about the Romans or some political enemy, but spiritually speaking, the enemy, the adversary was seeking to destroy them. And he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. Part of being scattered abroad and what's so bad about that is that we were designed to live together in community with one another and with God. And that's one of the great purposes of the local church is to glorify God through the evangelization and discipling of the lost together. Us doing this together, worshiping together. But he saw them as scattered abroad and as sheep without a shepherd. We need a shepherd. I can think of the shepherds in my life that have come along, some of them my pastors, some of them just spiritual fathers, some of them ladies who have invested in me and in my wife. And I'm so glad that they were a part of our lives because they made such an investment in us. Jesus turns to his disciples after his heart was moved and then saith he to his disciples, verse 37 begins, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Verse 38, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus often spoke in parables. He often spoke with metaphoric language. It's easy to tell when he does because he would choose something that the people would easily understand. And he talked about a harvest. Imagine a field. Maybe there's vegetables growing in it. Maybe there's fruit growing on on vines. Maybe it's grains ready to be picked or harvested. Whatever it is, it's a large harvest and it's the time for harvest. And if you're familiar with anything agrarian and if you've ever had a garden or maybe you live in a rural area, you know that there's a certain window in which the work must be done. You can't pick it too early, and you can't pick it too late. Too early, and it's not ready to eat. Too late, and it will rot out there in the fields. And he says the harvest truly is plenteous. And I know we can look around our churches, and sometimes they're emptier than we'd want them to be. And we look around our our Bible classes. We look around our children's programs, Sunday schools. And we look and we say, boy, I wish we could reach more people. And you think, where is everybody? Boy, there's just such few people to reach. Jesus said the very opposite here. He said the harvest is plenteous. Why? Because he saw the hurting, and the hurting are the people who are exactly ready to hear the gospel. And he says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There weren't enough people to go out into the field, in his illustration here, and to actually harvest the grain or to pick the vegetables or to uh, harvest the fruit. He said, so what are you going to do about it? There's not enough people and the harvest is big. And if we don't get enough people, it's going to rot out there and they'll be lost. Verse 38 begins with, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, since there aren't enough workers for the harvest, we need to do something about that. Therefore, pray ye. It seems like not having enough workers would be the time to organize or recruit or develop or plan or implement something. But it begins with prayer. Jesus starts with prayer to mobilize people to go out and to reach into these hurting multitudes. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I have found that even as a pastor, as a preacher, I don't have the power to make people go out and do anything. 
I can try and convince, I can try and plead, and I might get a little response for a little while if I really put it on thick, if I really tug at the person's heartstrings to get them to do something. But that's manipulation, and that's not what I want to do. What you and I both need is a working from God in our hearts so that we will go out as willing laborers, not having to be coerced and forced, but willing to go out and do the work. We need to pray that he will send them forth, that God will do that preparatory work so that there will be enough laborers to go out into his harvest to reach those people. I want you to know that we have to go, like Jesus did, to where the people are. And so don't just sit there and be happy with whoever shows up to your class, whether you're a participant in it or whether you're the teacher. Invite somebody to it. Go where they are. Start. I have a hobby that I have joined and I've started. I've been doing it for five years now just to break out of the easy, easy fall into situation where I'm only around church people. As a pastor of a church of our size, and I thank God for it, we, we have enough people that need to see me and that I want to see and to meet with where I could be around almost no one that doesn't know the Lord or at least doesn't have a profession of faith. It could happen, but I intentionally got a hobby and I've used that in order to reach out into other people's lives. And you, I'm surprised at what God's done. I've seen a number of people saved. I've seen people end up visiting our church from it. I've seen people end up listening to us online and tuning into podcasts and things like that. People that I didn't even think were interested in the things of God would overhear and they'd see the manner of life that my wife and I have and our children, which are connected with all of this. And and it made a difference. So go out where the people are and reach them because that's God's heart. It's for the people. Thanks for tuning in to Changing Lives, Changing Eternities. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast to catch our next episode. To hear even more of God's Word, we invite you to join us this Sunday either in person at Columbia Road Baptist Church, North Olmsted, Ohio, or online at columbiaroad.org slash live, YouTube, or through our mobile app. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Remember, let's be more than hearers. Let's be doers. Live out the truth of God's Word this week, and you'll change people's lives and their eternities. Until next time, thanks for listening, and may God bless you.